there, movie geeks. We're back for another week of excitement in movie land. How are you guys doing? Excellent. How are you? Uh, so, did we have a good week at the movies? Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. I just wanted to know. No, everything. I mean, it was last weekend when all the really, really, really good stuff was out, but we decided to talk about Blu-rays that no one in their right mind would buy. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what was last week? Uh, Kingsman? That was terrible. No. Come on. Oh, that was fun. That but, was a lot of fun. Dude, 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 what, it dude, really, dude, uh, I hate the original. Uh, oh, well, oh, did you, so you didn't see the second one, though, did you? No, I, I okay. you know, the original the original was just not for me, so I just assumed that the second oh, one was not. You had that, you had Brad Status, you had uh, the Battle of the Sexes, you had Stronger, Stronger, the only bad one of the bunch, really. Um, and not bad. It's Man, what is, what is the deal with what is the deal with stronger? Like, uh, uh, do they have like zero dollars to market that movie? Because I was aware of its existence, but I didn't know it was coming out until like the day before. You know, because I started seeing reviews, and I said, well, "Where's where's all the promotion been on it's, it? There was nothing." Well, behind there's it. been advertisements, there's been trailers. I know that it's not a bad movie. It's just, I it's got a TV, I TV movie of the week quality to it. I mean, mm. you know, I heard that Gyllenhaal is is excellent in it, though. Uh, he's and, good and in the, it. Yeah, uh, but here's do they do the anything? The do, do they do anything different with that type of story? Because we've seen that kind of come we've from seen behind it a lot. I mean, it's yeah. an interesting story, but I'm going to say it right now. There's a horrible thing to say. I'm not making light of the person's story, but there's nothing cinematic there. Okay? There's nothing. I mean, I hate to be the one to say that, but there's just nothing cinematic. Um, yeah, I mean, like. Uh, it's a TV movie like, of the week. I hate to say it. It, keeps, I mean, it. it reminds me of, like, remember last year we had Bleed for This? Uh, yeah, I mean, the boxing movie with, yeah. I mean, uh, that didn't even last a week. I mean, well, nobody, no, nobody even paid for that, much less bled. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, man, I don't mean to say that. It, don't get me wrong; the performances are good and everything. But you're watching this, like you know, David Gordon Green directed it, and that really caught me off guard. I had no idea that he directed that, and um, you're, you're watching it, and you're like, okay, this is all fine. Yeah, but this this is nothing. This would have been better maybe as a movie for HBO or something. I don't really. There's not a lot. There's not a lot. There's not a lot there that we haven't seen before. Um. Yeah, I, I'm kind of burned out on this. And then we're going to have another one, uh, uh, another one of these type of movies. Uh, we're going to have Breathe, right, with uh, uh, Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Now that's that's the, the, the novelty there, though. Is Andy Serkis is directing that, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. Okay, so that could be interesting. It's, well, the British have a way of making these movies. It's not, don't get me wrong, Stronger is not a bad movie. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just kind of, but we have seen it before, and I hate and I hate to say that because it's it's there is a story there. This guy who is not very reliable. The one day he shows up to support his girlfriend who he's broken up with three times, he gets his legs blown off. Um, you know, it's it's you know. You just say, I, and I don't think you have. To, it's it's a hard movie to sit through. Uh, not not because it's a bad movie, it's a, it's a subject matter, but you do have to. Well, I do have to wonder though. I mean, I've heard. I know this is this is a movie that desperately wants to be Oscar bait. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it's obvious. Well, I, I, I and I heard that, that uh, I heard that Andy Serkis actually 
wore all of that motion capture stuff as he was directing the movie <laughs> for no reason. It just feels both. So there's going to be behind the scenes footage. There's going to be behind the scenes footage of not him directing the movie, but it'll be Gollum directing it. You know, Gollum. There yeah. you go, Gollum. Or or or, 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 or Caesar. Or uh, you know. Or, yeah. Uh, um, well, uh, I watched, uh, Battle of the Sexes. Um, I like that movie. I, I, I really, I, I really responded pretty well to it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to oversell it or anything like that, but, uh, cause it, it kind of just barely transcends the, you know, really good HBO movie kind of moniker, but, um, true, true. Uh, but it is well photographed. It's photographed by the same guy that just won the Oscar for uh, for La La Land, uh, Linus uh, Sindgren. Uh, and uh, it's got a really good score by Nicholas Bertel, who was also nominated mm-hmm. last year for uh, for Moonlight. Uh, and uh, I thought the two leads were were very good. I could. I, <clears throat> it's a natural for Steve Carell to be. You know, very right. good in this movie. I mean, he's he's perfectly cast, and it's you know, it's not a huge stretch for him. Uh, but um, uh, uh, Emma Stone is is very very good in it. I could not quite. She didn't quite sink into the role of Billie Jean King. For for me, sometimes it still felt like Emma Stone. I guess because Emma Stone is has such a very specific look. She doesn't, you know, except for the hair, she doesn't really quite look like <laughs> Billy Jean well, King. Well, I mean, so kind of, Billy King, Billy King has a very distinct look. I mean, she does. You ever, I mean, very distinct look. I mean, you just saw a couple of weeks ago at the U.S. Open because they were promoting this movie heavily at the U.S. Open, um, and you know, you saw her. So you know, you, it is. I think Emma Stone has, from you know, over the years, over like it's been, I guess, a decade that we've been seeing her in movies. Has become like her own, um, you know, person. So I, I can definitely see where. Yeah, it's Emma Stone. I mean, you don't really think Billie Jean King. You think Emma Stone. I, I understand that. But I, actually, no, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Movie. I'm not. I'm not denigrating no, her performance. No, no, of course she's, not. No, she's good that. in it. You know, she's she's fine in it. Just uh, you know, everybody needs to calm down over it because I I don't think that you know. It's uh, it's just a really good strong entertainment. That's all there is to it, and there's there's that's that's good enough for me. Right, and, right, uh, right. And I found myself moved by it. I didn't quite, you know. It's funny, you know. It's, it's about this famous match uh, between uh, Bobby Riggs and Riggs and and uh, Billie Jean King uh, that took place in the mid seventies. And uh, for me, though, it felt like they kind of. Maybe, maybe when it came to the match itself, it wasn't as spectacular as I was hoping it would be. Uh, well, they're building it up throughout yeah. the thing. And, and what I found very interesting is that first you have this match with Margot Court and, and Bobby Riggs before um, yeah. that I think takes some, I, I think in, in the story in, cinematically takes some of the some of the steam it out does. of the final match because you're, you're like, well, you're wait right. a minute. You, what's this thing with Margot Court? Court? Wait, wait a second. We got this to deal with. And you know, I mean, what's funny is playing her, Margot Court, though, because I thought that was Hillary, like looked like Hillary Swank. I was like, my God, she's in this movie. I heard she <laughs> <didn't have> to <laughs> oh, oh no, no. she didn't no, come no, in no. at the end and ruin it no, like no. the. <laughs> yeah, but you're like you know, you know, because Hillary Swank has become the um, 
the Colonel Kurtz of actresses. She shows up in the third act, and uh, you know the Black Dahlia and Logan Lucky. So I just figured, oh, it's it's uh, Hillary Swank showed up, you know. So, um, you know, it's a, I, but who is it? I don't I don't think I've ever seen her before, but I couldn't get over how much J- Jessica uh, Jessica McNamee. I think it's, oh wow! Uh, it's, I've never I, I've never heard it. I've never seen her before. So, but uh, I uh, she was good. Uh, uh, I liked uh, I you know the part of the movie that I responded to most was the you know the sort of infatuation story. I won't call it quite a love story between Emma Stone's Billie Jean King and her hairdresser, played by Andrea Riseborough. I thought their meeting scene together was uh, you know one of the best scenes in the movie. It's shot in extreme close-ups. There's lots of extreme close-ups in this movie. It's yeah, crazy, yeah. but they're they're really fascinating. Um, uh, it, it's actually kind of beautifully shot. Uh, the entire movie. Uh, the the uh, the directors uh, who were the directors of uh, uh, you know uh, Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Jonathan ah, Dayton and Valerie right, Ferris. Right. Yeah, they they really benefited from that cinematographer working with them. Uh, but um, I really, I really responded to the love story. I also thought that the uh, that the guy playing her husband was uh, really good in it. Oh yeah, um, I mean, uh, talk about patience of a saint. I mean, my God, yes, very, very much so. And I thought that he he uh, he put that over pretty pretty well. Austin Stowell mm-hmm. is his name. Very uh, uh, incredibly handsome guy. Uh, so, but uh, it was it was also an interesting movie too because uh, I was I was looking at it and I was like, you know, uh, you know, since it's set in the seventies, you expect some sort of period detail, and at least mm-hmm. as far as art direction goes, uh, it's not really that noticeable. Uh, it, it's it's good. There's nothing that brings you out of the period. But what really sells the transition to the period of the seventies is the costumes. The costumes were mm-hmm. fantastic. They had yeah. they had extras and stuff in those crowds, uh, like just decked out completely mm-hmm. as if they were from right. nineteen seventy six or whatever. So it was, I th- I thought that it was uh, really interesting on a costume design level. Strangely enough, but uh, I've, I um, I completely <coughs> believe that they were uh, tennis shorts from the seventies. I mean, I was oh yeah, like, tennis shorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, they had a. You know, I mean, if if a movie like Heart Like a Wheel can be nominated for best costume design, then certainly something like this can too. Jesus. You know? <laughs> there you go, guys. There you go. Heart, it heart, was. Heart, no, a heart like a wheel. Was, We've already ripped on Heart Like a Wheel. Uh, so there you go. There you go. That's <laughs> kind of I mean, you know, you think you think hard like a wheel. It's just racing outfits or whatever, but it was nominated. So <laughs> just a little trivia there for everybody. There you but, go. Uh, there yes, you go. Oh. I really, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Battle of the Sexes. You know, no good, I, good. No, it was a fun. It's an enjoyable yeah. movie. It's very enjoyable. And Jerry, okay, you you really you really love Brad Status, right, Jerry? I did, yes. Thank you, thank you very much. I wanted to talk about that last week, but we had to talk about um, um, Blu-rays that no one was going to buy. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, you know, ever since you said something a couple of months ago, does anyone buy these things? <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh my ass off. But um, that <laughs> status is really good. Imagine a couple of years ago we talked about a um, Ben's. I got I almost suggested a Ben Stiller movie, uh, Greenberg. That was an 
Um, but yeah, we talked about that. Imagine if Greenberg was somewhat more for the mainstream and it had a much more upbeat tempo going into it. And that's what you get with Brad Status, which is a really, I actually think it's a really good Ben Stiller um, movie. And he seems to have found his way with the last couple movies, this and while we're young and obviously Greenberg, um, he, he's really found his way with some really moving adult performances, I think that really appeal to our generation and some of the angst in our generation. And in this movie, he's taking his son for a college um, interview um, in to Harvard, and I want to say other I want to say other colleges too, but I got the feeling the main focus here was Harvard. Um, and along the way, we realized that um, Ben Stiller's character Brad is very envious of his friends who he feels are more successful than he is. Um, there one's a movie producer, one's a um, hedge fund manager, one's a very big in um, the political scene. And we realize that he is very envious of these people. And he is, you know, he's you know the kind of person, like I think a lot of us uh, looks at social media and thinks everyone's doing better than he is. Uh, but he realizes through, throughout the movie that maybe this is not the case. And he needs to be sort of lectured by the younger generation of what's really important. And it's actually really well done. And it's a Mike White film. And he's obviously had a great year this year between this and Beatrice at Dinner. It was a Beatrice at Dinner or Beatrice Goes to the Dinner? Um, Beatrice at Dinner, yes. Beatrice at Dinner. So, I mean, this is a really well done adult drama. Um, really well done, I, I think. He's a good he, He's a good uh, humanist filmmaker, I think. Michael yes, Wright. he is. He is. He is. He's an ex- excellent writer. Uh, not not bad as an actor too. So you no, know, no, he's a good he's, actor. Yeah. Um, is this an Amazon yeah. movie or net uh, Amazon or? Who did this I think movie? Amazon's a producer. I think it's Amazon because you know I think it's Amazon Studios. I think I think I'm not 100 percent sure on that. It's not Netflix. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who it is either. But um, it might be one of Amazon's first. Uh, I can't see anything about Amazon on here, but. Um, yeah, well, I'm excited to see that. It's playing down the street at the art house cinema, so I'll have to pay a little oh, cool. extra to go and see it. But uh, but it'll be worth it. I'm I'm pretty positive it's going to be good. It's been a little while since Mike White has been around as a director. It seems like the last well, was the last thing that he did uh, uh, oh, as right, a director right. the year of the dog, which was like 2007. So he's been doing a lot of TV uh-huh. stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Good call. Because he's been working. He's been working on that TV show, Enlightened, with Laura Dern, and and oh, I guess yeah. School of Rock is now a TV show, which I didn't even really realize. But uh, uh, yes, he's good though, and I'm glad to glad to see him back, and glad to hear. You know, I always expect great things from him. So, uh, and he, uh, movie wise, he never very rarely disappoints. So right. Right. Um, and yeah, I know when you that go also Brad, that Brad status, you're going to have to pay extra because it's a art theater, and also there's an upcharge to see it in 3D. So that's going to be. Something <laughs> <extra free. laughs> it it was made for IMAX. Uh, yeah, it was um, definitely an IMAX movie. I know. I know also too that that Adam Long is uh, has pretty much declared that it's probably his favorite movie of the year. What Brad yeah. status? So so that's. That's an uh, extra endorsement as well. Okay, now did we see American Made? Yes, we did. <laughs> okay. 
I thought that <clears throat> I thought that this particular film I, I went in with real real high expectations because the last collaboration between the director Doug Lyman and and uh, the star Tom Cruise resulted in Edge of Tomorrow, which was a I thought a brilliant movie, a brilliant, uh, uh, really fun, different kind of uh, genre movie. Right, uh, right. No, of course. <clears throat> this was less fun and less <laughs> less different because uh, it because it has the template of you know Goodfellas and it has that sort of style that it's that it's that template of like. Oh, uh, the seventies were were cool, and then when the eighties started, it's all bad. It's all downhill from here, and uh, so it's that ty- typical kind of rise and fall kind of thing. You, it, once you know that it's about Barry Shear, the uh, or what's his name, Barry? Uh, is that his name? Yeah, I heard Barry Seal. Barry Seal. Barry Seal. Sorry, and uh, and his uh, his involvement with uh, smuggling drugs from Colombia to uh, to Florida, uh, the Florida coastline, or uh, Louisiana, or wherever he goes, uh, and, uh, and then eventually his involvement with Iran Contra, you know, the running guns for the Contras and so forth, and all that stuff is really interesting. But it, first of all, it requires a lot of ex, uh, 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 you know, explanation in the film that uh, you know exposition in the film that kind of uh, gets in the way of. You know, it kind of uh, midway through the movie, I was like, you know, maybe this would have worked better as a documentary or something because it's uh, well, you know, the, I love I, I love cocaine cowboys, and a lot of yeah. that is about the uh, them smuggling all that shit, yeah, <laughs> along the Florida coastline by plane. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, this is probably not as fun. I haven't seen Cocaine Cowboys, I have to say, but uh, uh, but this is probably not as fun as that movie is. Uh, to me, this was. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I was <clears throat> I was kind of annoyed by the movie from the very beginning because I I didn't like the way that it was filmed. I thought that it was filmed very. It looks very haphazardly, kind of filmed. It sometimes looks murky. Uh, from you know, one shot will look kind of washed out, and the next shot won't. And so it's not a stylistic thing. There's, there's something wrong there. But there's something about the the photography of it and uh, was blah to me. And the um, I uh, just the story uh, just felt kind of rote by rote, you know. I also was hoping to see some sort of vulnerability in uh, Tom Cruise, you know, because it's been a long time since he just displayed anything like that in his roles. And <clears throat> I was really hoping for some of that, at least, in in this first sort of non-action role that he's had in a little while. But it's still an action movie. It's really, it's really still a vehicle for him to to be smug and and kind of. Win everything, and it, it, even when it goes south at the end, by the by the last third of it, I was kind of done with the movie uh, in a lot of ways. I was just not, uh, I was not engaged by it at all, um, and uh, I, I was disappointed, you know, definitely. I mean, but what'd you think? I thought it was better than the Mummy. <laughs> better than the Mummy. Okay, well that would look good on the. That would look good on the. That would look good on the VHS cover. No, no, but no, I thought, and still, I think it's kind of happy. It's still in the bowel movement I had earlier. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I didn't, 
you know, you walk out of a movie like this, and the first thing you think of is Scorsese life. That's the first thing you think That's of. That's it. Like what you were saying. But it's like what you were saying. I mean, uh, it's a good movie. How do I say it? It's a good movie for Tom Cruise. But it's just not. Yeah, I do feel. Yeah, I, agree, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like it reminded me the first movie I thought of was actually Matthew McConaughey movie Gold that was earlier this year. Uh huh. Yeah. I just felt like, yeah. I just felt like I had been here. It's, I think in Gold, some of the stuff is very interesting. Uh, but you are right. There's a lot of exposition in the movie. Lots of I mean, exposition. All, lots lot of explaining the whole thing and the yeah, whole. And I do not mind that. I didn't mind it as much as you. I mean, I think it's, it's a fun movie. I think it's a great movie, though. Um. I mean, it's not I mean, as collaborate. Yeah, I didn't abjectly hate it, but uh, no, no. but I definitely, I definitely, there was a point where I was like, okay, I'm done with this movie, and this was before it was over. So I was like, yeah, I, this is the point where I would probably, you know, check out if I was watching it at home or something. But right. uh, um, I, I'm I'm struggling to find things that I. I really liked about it. I mean, like, you know, but it, it's, it's, I'm not being successful. I mean, I'm thinking about like, like every, anytime Don Hall, uh, Gleason, who's in everything now, by the way, um, uh, when he shows up, it's the CIA guy that kind of lures, lures, uh, crews into this, uh, into this assignment. Uh, uh, just, just from the casting of him, uh, I thought, boy, you know, he just looked skeevy. I wouldn't trust him, you know. And uh, and plus, I felt like there was something about his performance that, like, just stops the movie cold every time he shows up. There's just – there's nothing sort of charming and kind of ingratiating about the character, and mm-hmm. I, I I don't know why uh, – they they could they should they should have gotten somebody who was like a little bit more of a smooth talker, you know, like somebody like a Jonah Hill or somebody like mm-hmm. that would have been interesting well, that's in that a role. Good point. Now, you actually bring up a really good. Now there is you know we say I say Matthew McConaughey Gold, but there is a movie that is along that where you would put in a similar category that's a lot more fun. War Dogs. Um, yeah, there's a lot exactly. more. Exactly. Oh, it has a, has a better rhythm. It has a better rhythm, if you will. Yes. On to it. Exactly. This does not have. Um, yes. That's actually a very good point. There's a very good point to bring up Jonah Hill because you're right. Uh, Miles Teller and Jonah Hill work off very well off each other, and I think that's part of the problem here is that Tom Cruise, given the story, doesn't really have anyone to play off of. He has his wife. Um, he has the brother-in-law. Who you certainly to see the brother-in-law show up. I mean. <laughs> We know it's bad news. We don't need Tom Cruise to tell us in the voiceover it's bad news. We just know when that guy rings the doorbell. Oh, yeah, just from the that's casting the of that guy, that uh, yeah. that J- Jacob Landry Jones or whatever, yeah. who uh, who the, is the most the oddest looking person in movies today. Who yeah, he no, sort he of is. looks like. He looks like the illegitimate son of uh, Leon Vitale from uh, or, or, or <laughs> from Barry Lyndon, you know. <laughs> or it looks like Karatop. Yeah, he's, but, um, he's very odd. That's the, thing, that's the thing I think the movie does wrong. If the movie's really like, it doesn't trust the audience to come up with their own um, opinions. I think this is a problem where you can say the narrative, voiceover narration is a hindrance because it has to. Yes. Tell, it feels it has to tell us. What and I think we could come up. I think when that guy, we know that that guy is no good. We just I mean, yes, you don't. And that's the problem some, with yeah. the that's the problem with the movie too because yeah. 
once he shows up, you know, would you, uh, you know, Cruz gives him a job, you know, uh, sweeping up the place or whatever. Right. But would you even give that guy a job, you know, uh, doing anything? <laughs> I mean, right. once you he see the guy, I don't care if he's. Immediately. He complains immediately. I yeah. Mean... So, so, yeah. And by the way, I couldn't buy that that guy is is cast as uh what whatever her name uh Sarah Wright or whatever her name is as her her brother. Like she's yeah, studying no, no, I, and he's like yeah. a Cretan. He, 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 <laughs> like, he looks like he came from the trailer park that time for God. Um, yes, you know, and she and she looks she looks like she came from, you know, from the uh, a New York modeling agency. Yeah, so yeah, I mean. uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It had lots of problems, and and uh, I, I I put it firmly in the disappointment category for me. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, I mean, did you ever did you ever consider that that character might have been adopted? I mean, that could. Be, <laughs> I didn't well, actually, that's but maybe point. that's, that's a, possible. That's a good point. I didn't. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jamie. I didn't even think about that. Okay. <clears throat> yes, yeah, possible. Uh, or maybe the product of incest. Uh, uh, So another movie that I watched Uh, I got a chance to see um, Lucky The Harry Dean Stanton movie Uh, Oh, okay Oh, I care about that uh, I think this is one of the best movies of the year It's got a um, It's extremely moving Especially, of course, given Mr. Stanton's passing uh but uh it it uh it is a more than fitting send off for this actor it's 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 more than we deserve really and um he's obviously in every every frame of the movie uh virtually and uh it's a, it's a very plotless movie i mean it is really seriously just a few days in the life of this this guy living in this small southwestern town uh uh heavily uh you know heavily uh, hispanic in nature um and uh you know hanging out at the bar with his best friend played by uh david lynch who has a really really good really good you know three or four scene uh supporting cameo there uh but he really he he has a he has some really really notable moments uh, david lynch does in it as an actor he's he's very very good at it um but uh and uh, tom scarrett shows up so we get a little uh, mini you know alien reunion uh <laughs> there uh and um you know character actors like beth grant and uh uh you know pe- people that you'll recognize popping up uh, here and there but it's it's the the camera is very firmly trained on Harry Dean Stanton, who is just absolutely spellbinding in it. Um, there is a moment in this movie towards its latter third that is uh, incredibly moving uh, and surprisingly so. Uh, but it involves you know Harry Dean Stanton's musical abilities, let's say, and I'll just leave it at that. But uh, it is it is. Uh, it's moving in a kind of a uh it's moving in a very wistful way you know we're not used to having scenes like this uh uh move us you know uh it's kind of a uh, a celebration of of life to use a, a tired cliche but it 
it that's that's what it is. It's a this movie is about acceptance of uh the eventuality of losing everything. And um uh in that way it kind of it gives us, uh, I, you know, it definitely gives us, uh, it's, a, you know, it's obviously, you know, a written screenplay, but it really feels, it feels very real. It feels very, uh, it feels very true to, uh, you know, the image that we have of uh, Harry Dean Stanton as a person. Uh, um, it, it, uh, it, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, characteristics of the main character, Lucky, is, uh, you know, are, are things that I think we all attribute to uh, Harry Dean Stanton himself. So um, it's uh, it's wonderful. Uh, Ed Bagley Jr. pops up as his uh, as his doctor in it. He's got a very funny scene in it, and uh, it, it it's also beautifully shot. You know, it's one of these. It's a <clears throat> it, it has a very firm grasp on its look. And uh, and uh, you know it's, so it's a it's a very good debut from John Carroll Lynch as a director I thought and uh, but you know he's just lucky to have gotten Harry Dean Stanton to to be in it and and uh, we're lucky to have it I think it's a it's a really really terrific movie if you like if you like that kind of uh, Jim Jarmusch type of feel you know that's kind of a, a like if you liked Patterson from last year, you'll you'll probably like this as well. Uh, this has a similar kind of, uh, you know, kind of rambling, plotless kind of feel to it. That uh, it's kind of wonderful in a in a world that's filled with plot. Everything's got to work like a Swiss watch and everything like that. <laughs> and you get sort of tired of all that, you know, machinery. And uh, you just want to break free from it sometimes. And I think uh, a movie like Lucky. Uh, really, you know, facilitates that. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Very, so how, very, very good. Hang on, hang on. So how do you compare it to um, The Hero, which is similar because they both seem like movies that were tailor-made to give their lead actors the spotlight, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, there, there's lots of similarities there, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, they're, they're both de- they're both obviously crafted to the specific uh, uh, features of their le- uh, lead actor, um, and uh, they're both, you know, they're both perfect vehicles for them. Um, I, I liked I liked Lucky a little bit better as a film because I felt like you know it was a more visual experience. Than the hero was, um, so so for me that's what puts it up a little a notch above. Like you know, like for instance, the inventive use of uh, Harry Dean Stanton's uh, uh, harmonica playing is uh, it, his harmonica basically uh, you know serves as the score to the movie. Um, so I, I thought that was a great choice, um, and. Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, so you know, I, I, I like both of those movies, but Lucky Lucky gets the edge a little bit more, um, and certainly, uh, boy, I mean, it'd be great if there was room for both of those guys in the at the Oscars uh, for the best actor uh, role uh, uh, or category, but you know, the chances are maybe neither one of them will make it, but. Uh, 
Yeah. But certainly, well, I would. Gotta, I would they, just, uh, they really got to, yeah. you know, it's up to them. Uh, they really got to make a push, you know. Mm-hmm. The studio, uh, yeah, throw its support behind it, you know. They, they really do. They're they're they're, they're not going to remember. Uh, mm-hmm. If they don't do that, you know, they got to spin some dough and. And I think they really I mean, do. Harry Dean Stanton is, pro- is probably so beloved that as long as you keep that awareness out there, that there's a good chance that they could nominate him. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, it would be a record-breaking nomination if they do, because he would be definitely the oldest person. I, I think he would give, uh, you know, maybe give Gloria Stewart a run for her money. I, I don't know if Gloria Stewart was when she was nominated for Titanic, but um, she was definitely in her 90s, so... Uh, you know, it might be a record-breaking nomination in a way. It's certainly notable because of the posthumous nature of it, but uh, it would it would be a great thing to see. I tell you what, uh, and uh, you know, either one of those guys, either either Sam Elliott or uh, Stanton, it would be a dark um, horse. I mean, it would be a dark horse because I'm taking it, unless I'm reading this wrong, is that everyone's gunning for Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, that seems to be right now on the narrative. It's the one performance that's that's sight unseen. But yeah. if you have a Day Lewis if you have a Day Lewis that's on the horizon man, I mean that's that's the your number one thing to contend with. You just yeah, can't get yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's I mean, the monster. Way, if, this, if this is the final day I mean, at least right now, if this is the last performance I mean, that also, you have to add that to the mix. I mean, and there are a couple of performances, I think, that could give it a run for its money. I mean, we haven't even seen the film. We have no idea even what we're dealing with yet. I mean, we haven't we could be dealing with enough still from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, we could be dealing with another, you know, inherent vice or, or whatever, you know. So, that's uh, true. That's and true. I mean, that's if that's true. the case, I would welcome another inherent vice because I love it, but uh, a yes, lot of people exactly. didn't. Uh, so it seems like it's weird what's happened to Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, now it seems like all cinematic, uh, lovers of cinema, uh, have, uh, have kind of given up on Paul Thomas Anderson. A lot of, a lot of people don't don't like the master and don't like, uh, inherent vice. They're just, they don't feel like those movies, uh, live up to the promise of something like there will be blood. Uh, and, they do get better as you watch them more. Uh, both, yeah, both even of the Master has got moments of genius. The Master uh, has moments of pure yes, genius. I wish I, people would give that another chance. I, really I think the Master was really the best movie. movie of that year. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's uh, it, it is fantastic. But, yeah, uh, yeah so we'll have to wait and see. If uh, I think it's strange that they haven't. People still don't know what to call it, even though you know the title, the nominal title, "Phantom Thread," uh, is uh, has it seems like it's been settled on, but uh, a lot of people are still calling it the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So, mm-hmm. uh, right, right. I just so, don't. Uh, are, are we are we definitely seeing it this year? I mean, uh, you know, it, there... could, it could. No, oh, I don't know. Are you I don't thinking know. what I'm thinking? Are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? Could this be like Zodiac, something that was supposed to come out and then might not come out till March? It's possible. It could have. Uh, that would have been, what, a, what a mistake that would be. 
I mean, that uh, would be. I mean, they, they, they really do have to release it in the fall. But uh, yeah. you've heard nothing official, you know, yeah. in terms of a release date. It's just been all speculative. And it's September. Yes. It's October already. It is October. <laughs> yes, it is. An interesting parallel to this is in the uh, Best Actress race. Uh, a, they screened at uh, Toronto a movie called The Wife with Glenn Close. Oh, yeah. Uh, Playing the wife of a uh, uh, of a writer played by um, uh, Jonathan Price, who's trying to uh, who's trying to coax him through a time of uh, of writer's block, while she's having her own uh, kind of creative rumblings, and uh, uh, Glenn Close is is you know famously uh, you know <laughs> without an Academy Award, even though she's been nominated six times. So if she got nominated this year. I think she would be the front runner. Well, the movie was picked up, but uh, was was picked up from Toronto, but the uh, distributors have decided to hold it until 2018. So, uh, so she won't be in the race this year. But if she had, they had put her in the race, and I think they should. Uh, I think she would be the front runner and probably the winner, uh, just on just on uh, you know the the narrative. But I heard I hear well, maybe, the performance is one of her best ever. So maybe they think she has a better shot if it's a posthumous Oscar. So they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna wait as long as possible. And the crazy th- the crazy thing about if she if it comes out next year is that she also has the musical the film adaptation of the musical version of uh, Sunset Boulevard okay. coming out next wow. year as well. Oh, wow. Who's doing so that? Could, who's doing that? Who's directing that? Is that a I'm not Rob sure. I'm not, here? I, I hope not, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's possible. <laughs> it could be Rob Marshall. It seems like something that he'd be perfect for. So, But, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure on that. But... Um, so she could end up, you know, kind of splitting the vote. But anyway, two performances, two two great performances can equal one, you know, an Oscar nomination still. So, um, but uh, yeah, I was disappointed that they're not putting out the wife uh, this year. Um, yeah, I'd be uh, more disappointed when the wife doesn't put out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a deal breaker. Uh, have you guys seen the new Netflix movies, the Our Souls at Night and Gerald's Game? I watched Our Souls at Night today. I haven't seen and Gerald's Game yet. Is it at, when did, did that come out this weekend on Netflix? Yeah. Did that finally come out? Okay, I know. I've been wanting to see that. Okay. All right. Yeah, so Our Souls at Night, what'd you think? I thought it was a perfectly pleasant movie. Yeah. Uh, nothing more, <laughs> really. But, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know what it is, and you know that the only real reason to watch it is for the two of them together, Redford and Fonda. And uh, it, it, the movie is like they feel together on screen, like a comfortable old shoe. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something, there's something about Redford, man. Uh, Redford is uh, – he's. I always hesitate to say he's a good – Actor, and I don't know why, because he 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 is he's perfectly fine. But you know, I've always said that Redford is just a bunch of the, the same in every single movie. It doesn't right. matter what what environment you put him in. Um, but he he in this movie especially, 
is it's all very uh believable behavior there's there's so little effort because he's been doing it for so damn long mm. there's there's uh, it's just so natural and and uh, kind of be- beautifully understated He's he's wonderful in the movie uh, in the way that he's like a very straight talker. You know, he, he there's no there's no uh, art, art. You know, he's reached an age where he's not bullshitting uh, in any way, shape, or form, and and is is completely uh, uh, invested in in a certain sense of honesty about almost everything that he approaches. So uh, <clears throat> I uh, I appreciated that about and his, his and his and his story is a little more interesting than hers is. I mean, in terms bit. of uh, actually, this movie might uh, it, it probably would have worked just as fine without any backstory with either one of the characters, uh, because it's about uh, just older people that are that are lonely and and they want to fill a void with each other. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's unavoidable to bring in the backstory because they got to get to know one another. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. um, just just on that basic premise alone, it's it's uh, it's fine. It's it's perfectly pleasant. And it's a movie that 20 years ago would have been released in theaters, but uh, it, it is tailor-made for some kind of uh, for- format like Netflix today, because these these movies typically don't get released anymore in theaters. But they still, you know, yeah. they're still made, which is good. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, it's you know, uh, it, it, it's. <laughs> You know, we get the we get the whole question: Is this a TV movie? Basically, <laughs> I mean, but you know, the way we get with all these Netflix things, so uh, I I don't I don't know how to categorize it, but it's a it is a you know a, you know a perfect kind of Saturday afternoon movie, I guess, or right. maybe a Sunday afternoon movie. You know, like uh, it, it it does feel like a you know a sort of a, a a glass of glass of sweet tea or something, you know. It's, right. uh, it's my God, it's, I was about to say something about tea. You're absolutely right because <laughs> I was tr- I was trying to think of something that could run parallel to your taco movies, and uh-huh. the, and this is like like a glass of tea that you're stirring the sugar in. You're just sitting back. Yes. <laughs> yep. Get a little lemon in it, you know. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's written by those guys that wrote. Uh, 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 I think 500 Days of Summer and uh, I think you're and, right. Uh, you're the right. spectacular now. Uh, so uh, they, it's based they on a book. contributed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, it and, sounds like uh, a vampire movie. Uh, so when I first I heard about it, it or, uh, <laughs> a, a vampire movie starring Robert Redford and Jade Fonda, I was like, wow, that sounds pretty edgy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, damn. This is, this is the opposite of edgy. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I was surprised to see that one of those guys sitting at the table that uh, Redford goes to diner every day, and, and or every other day, and sits sits at this table with all these old guys. And one of the one of the more irritating old guys is played by Bruce Dern, and they don't make a thing of it at all. He's got a hat on; he can't even. You almost don't. I almost didn't even recognize him, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, wow, way to throw away Bruce Stern in this movie. But, you you, you could uh, you could imagine he shot all of his stuff in the course of an hour, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was sitting there. Once they set up, just do like three yeah. brief scenes that last no more than thirty seconds each, and uh, you're uh-huh. done. You're done for the day, buddy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I I liked it fine. You know, it's, it was uh, it was a pleasant way to spend a, you know ninety minutes or so. So uh, now the game, game, I don't I don't uh, know what that is. Uh, is it, it's the latest part of the Stephen King adaptation craze. Mm. Mm-hmm. So and it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, intense premise for for this kind of movie. Um, right. This this long married couple. Uh, they're having some problems in their relationships, so they they decide to get away in a secluded cabin for the weekend, for a romantic weekend to kind of reignite things. He's mm-hmm. pretty kinky. This is Bruce Greenwood, as you've never seen right. before, and and never never really wanted to see him like this before. You never really and, had uh, that from <laughs> here. But, uh. <laughs> and uh, uh, Car- uh, Carlo G- uh, Gigino, G- G- Gigino, or. G- you know, Gugino, you know. Okay. Uh, she, uh, it's a great showcase for her because she's alone through most of it. They start getting into like some kinky little act where he handcuffs her and she protests and a stressful argument ensues and he falls down dead of a heart attack and she's handcuffed to the bed um, with no one around uh, for miles. Right and uh, and throughout the course of the movie, she kind of recounts um, her past of abuse. Uh, it's it's a horror movie about uh, about sexual abuse and incest and all of that kind of stuff. Ultimately, and the uh, the kind of cycle the abused often get into of never uh, one partner after another is the same version of the first person that abused you. And and she has to summon her inner strength to kind of silence those demons and escape. And meanwhile, some pretty grotesque things are happening. A stray dog comes into the uh, into the room and starts to eat her dead husband. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a, it's pretty horrific. Uh, but for the most part, I, I thought it was really effective, uh, very well acted by both of them. Uh, right. Carla, in particular, it's a, it's a great emotional showcase for her. It's the nature of the role, but it has the worst ending ever. Uh, I mean, the last oh, ten minutes yeah. of this movie, worst last ten minutes of this movie, you're like, where the fuck did this come from? Is mm. uh, am I watching something completely different? Uh, and it just, I don't know why, no one thought to question the end of this movie. That that it betrays the journey that that character's just been on, and it betrays the the work that she did to to bring that to life. Uh, it's just a, kind of an abomination. The end of it. Mm. Um, wow. Wow. And, so I, and I, I, the, I, I did I did see the beguiled. Sophia Coppola okay. version of the beguiled. I, I watched <laughs> I watched that this week as well. Uh, oh God. Why? I am the last person to. I gotta say this. It is not the last person to say. That's that's what I can remember about it. Um, (laughs) It it is it is beautifully shot, but I am the last person to say that a remake is unnecessary or whatever because I I don't think anything is necessary. But but why would you if you're going to remake it? Why would you direct it like Gus Van Sant directed Psycho? I mean, it is a scene yeah. for scene remake yeah. of mm-hmm. the original of a Don. Uh, uh, why can't I think of his last Don, name? Don, Don Siegel. Siegel. Don, Don, Don yeah. Siegel. Yeah. Siegel's original. Yeah, and it brings nothing new to the table. 
Like nothing. It, in fact, it, it erases seem, I mean, a lot of the it erases a lot of the things that made the original beguiled so interesting. Like uh, yeah. you know, it erases it, it erases you know the Geraldine Page's back backstory, her character's backstory of sleeping with her brother and everything that that kind of injects a kind of creepy uh creepy skeeviness to the whole thing and uh there there's just a uh it's it's like she took the original movie and wanted to get rid of all the things that are really uncomfortable about it. And she just she just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and just made it into a movie about these women in these pretty dresses uh tending to this guy who by the way Colin Farrell doesn't uh it, to me, he—I mean—he does seem manipulative in some scenes, but he—he he doesn't portray any kind of menace like uh, Clint Eastwood did. Yeah, uh, he's, they, he's they, game. He's game for it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, everyone's game for the movie, but you're just—you are watching it, and you're like, "Yes, this is what he's like." Sophia Coppola. he's not. I mean, he's just—you do have. We talked about this when it first came out. I mean. You do have to wonder what was the point of making the movie if you're not going to. Yeah, you know, and you know, and, and, and it's the same. It's the same damn thing with Straw Dogs that that remake. Yeah. You know, some movies mm-hmm. exist uh, because they provoke. Uh, Straw Dogs is one of them. To a lesser extent, Beguiled is another. So why, when you yeah. remake them, would you, for lack of a better term, would you castrate both of them? I don't understand well, that creative decision. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yes. I mean, because and particularly, is a, yeah. yeah. Go, go. I was going to say it's particularly a good point. You, you bring up castration in in, in uh, reference to the beguiled, since that's kind of what the beguiled is is about. Uh, but what were you going to say, Jerry? No, I was just going to say it's, it's you know the one thing I remember about it. Um, and I did like. I mean, I liked it. it was beautifully shot. But you're, you walk, when you think about it, when you when you leave the theater, when you actually think about it, you are wondering, okay, you took this out, you took this out. Well, why would you want to remake this? Why not just make a different movie altogether? Then I mean, why would and you want seems, to? It just doesn't seems, make sense. She seems most fascinated by just the look of the house, you know, with its columns and everything. There's endless shots of the house and. Mist yeah. coming through the, the trees and and the and right. the light coming in and stuff, you know, all smoky and uh, and then of course they, you know, part of the interesting visual design of it, which I thought was the most interesting thing about it, yeah, was they they really uh, they really uh, the photographer really emphasizes the darkness inside that house. You know, there's no mm-hmm. there's no uh, it, it, it's a very dark movie. Uh, and, and darker than the original was, I think, you know, visually. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, but she seems she seems most fascinated with the look of the world, just like in her in her previous movies. She's she's interested in in looking at the fineries of the lace uh, the lace uh, you know outfits that they're wearing right. and, and stuff well, like, in the bling stuff like ring, that. In the bling ring, it, it has the yes. same problems. The bling the bling ring is that. There's just nothing there. No, there's absolutely, there's really when you get down to it, and in a bling ring, I think suffers from this more. But you know, you bring you bring up, um, you bring up, um, you know, the beguile, and you just wonder why. I mean, you're not gonna like straw dogs is a good analogy, actually. Why would you, 
why would you remake it if you're not gonna? You they're both films that could definitely use like stuff going on at the times they're made, contemporary things to, to inject. And it's like neither filmmaker bothered to do anything, really. Yeah, it was just like it. They just sort of cut the guts out of it. I think it's ridiculous that she won the best director off the thing, uh, Bob Dore, for, for well, this. Well, can I ask a question yeah, about that? Can I ask a question about that? He's a, it's, that's for the whole the whole ceremony, right, the whole festival. It's not yes. just for movies that are playing at the particular time slot. I mean, I can understand if nothing else is playing at that time. I mean, but was there nothing else? Play- I mean, the best director at 8 p.m., yeah, but this this brings up something that was she was criticized for when you know her first three movies are I think very well done. I don't think anyone we can't argue. I think they're all very well done. Look, I, I just some, I just watched Somewhere for the first time, yeah. and I I really enjoyed Somewhere. Well, that's uh, even better. That's, so, even, that's better on subsequent viewings. But she, I think she's become a parody of herself in some ways. I mean. Well, she's sense. definitely caught in a bubble, and I mean, she's been caught in a bubble since she was since she was born, basically, a, a bubble <laughs> of great <laughs> great privilege. <laughs> she's she's in the bubble of great privilege, and and yeah. this is really has really been uh, reflected in her movies from the very beginning, from when she yeah. did when she wrote that piece for her father. For New York Stories, which was the worst thing in that movie, that yes, that uh, really was <laughs> that terrible. That terrible. Well, I mean, we we talked we've talked but, about Sofia Coppola before, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm poo pooing over Sofia Coppola because of her privilege, but there's some, there's something to be said for this. Uh, in her father's best movies, it is clear that he is grappling with something. You know, he's 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 really digging deep and investigating something, whether whether it's the you know issues of uh, uh, privacy and, and anonymity and all of that kind of stuff in the conversation, or the de- the depths of family and corruption and how it parallels the American experience in the Godfather films to Apocalypse Now. I mean, God, if anybody's grappling yeah. something in a film, it's Coppola with his work in that, and. He's 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 gained and he's lost, uh, to use a Trump term, bigly throughout bigly. his bigly. career. Bigly, uh, uh, Sophia doesn't have that experience, but uh, and and you can be wealthy and still grapple with issues. But so one is not exclusive to the other. But uh, I'm saying it would be great if if there was something on her mind that she was trying to. I don't know what she's. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> I really just think it's all about the the stuff, you know. I think she's she's fascinated with people who have a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, and even in this movie, even in even in this movie uh, where you know they're going, you know they're going through hard times supposedly and everything, but they're eating well and, and yeah, and they, mean, have, really... they have they have. They have they have time to sit around and play little tunes on the piano and on the on the violin. It looks like they have a pretty good life. It doesn't look like they're really suffering, which is uh, also something that's different from the original Beguiled. Uh, it, it, the original right. Beguiled does does give you the sense that, that those those people are are under immense pressure in a lot of ways. So 
uh, but you don't feel that in this, and uh, and you really don't feel any of the uh, uh, the sort of suspenseful thrills that you do in the original uh, in this one. You know, you you just don't. It's just not there. It's just not the point mm-hmm. of the movie. The point yeah. of the movie is really just the look of the look of the women as they're going up the stairs and they're in their in their beautiful dresses, holding a candle. You know, if they're going up, that, that's really what the movie's about. So uh, you know, if that's if well, that's your yeah. deal, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad she I'm glad she got that point across in two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> uh, also, uh, two really awful movies uh, that we haven't really spoken about at much length, uh, and I don't think we need to really. But I just want to mention them. The Book of Henry is. Uh, <laughs> oh, you watched it? Was it. Through, oh. Yeah, if if the book of Henry were directed as as though the director gave a shit, uh, it could have been a really cool kind of cult movie, culty kind of movie. If, oh God. if they would have had some fun fun with it, it just seems like right before he started shooting, they said, "Okay, you got to prepare for the next Jurassic Park," and so he thought, "Oh God, okay, well let me prepare for this, and I'll try to film this as quickly as possible." <laughs> it just doesn't. Uh, <laughs> It, it it is bad, but it's not it's not a train wreck disaster. Uh, and uh, frankly, uh, if it had been a train wreck disaster, it would have been a lot more entertaining to watch. The other one that's mm. really awful is the comedian, that Taylor Hackford Robert De Niro movie. Well, I couldn't even get past the first twenty minutes. I was like, once I saw the first routine that he did, I was like, that was absolutely unfunny. Not funny at all. The whole thing is so, I just, and and not terrible funny. in it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh god. I mean, he lo- he looks like he's reading. He's like straining to read what's on the cue card when he's on stage telling his jokes. Uh, uh-huh. It would have been great if a comedian would have written it. Which if yeah. a comedian did write this, then the, they they should be out of work. Cause it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it just uh, it, yeah. It, it might have been like an interesting character piece if it had some bite to it. But, you know, there's a scene where he goes to an old folks' home and he's telling jokes about crapping your pants and stuff. And Yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah, the thing is, there's no, there's no humor in what he's saying. I mean, um, so that's not worth talking about. And then I did see a movie that I, I think would make my top ten of of the year, and it's completely shocking to me. So <laughs> I, I almost don't want to reveal it. Because I don't want to r- ruin the surprise of my top ten. But think of like, <laughs> oh God, I want to know that. Like the, the, the exact opposite of what kinds of movies I like, and uh, <laughs> and you'll find you'll find this title. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, you got to tell us what it is. You can't leave us hanging. Now. All right, I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you what it is. But it, it, it'll, it'll elicit a lot of groans. It, it would have elicited groans in me if I heard anyone else say it. I really, really like Spider-Man: Homecoming. Oh, it's a uh, good movie, man. I think it's a good movie. I think you, it's uh, it's something that uh, I think critics have really responded to, and uh, I have to admit I haven't seen it yet. So, uh, but uh, you know, I do I do want to see it, which is. Surprising for me to say. Charming, if if that's the right word, it's almost something charming about it. Um, 
you know, but it's no, it's uh, I, I love I love the humor in it. I love the yeah. tone of the humor in it. It's got so many clever parts of it. Mm-hmm. It's not, of course, it has CGI in it, of course, but it's not. The movie doesn't exist for the CGI. I didn't feel, and uh, and then uh, uh, he he plays like a like a real teenager. Yeah, uh, and um, and he has a scene or two with Michael Keaton, particularly one scene with Michael Keaton, that's really so well played. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I know. And, I know. And I Michael know what Keaton you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Michael Keaton does not play a typical kind of villain. There, I do have fault with it for its climax on top of a plane, an invisible plane at night, and sometimes it's really mm-hmm. hard to see what the hell is going on and that kind of staging, but you've got to give these movies a big bang at the end. But uh, but the central, and, and just the, the clever humor of it is uh, really uh, delightful and sets it apart. So let's all talk yeah. about, uh, let's all talk about the Vietnam War. Not the movie, the mm. actual event. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still making my way through it. It's good so far, and I'm still making my way through it. I, you know, where I watched it last night. I finished the whole thing. I didn't finish it. I'll probably, I mean, realistically, I'll probably finish it by the end of the month. I mean, I was just watching one or two episodes a week. Um, I DVR'd the whole thing, but I stopped binge watching. I won't binge watch anything ever again. I just refuse to. I just don't have the time or the patience for it to be honest with you so i'm like i think i'm halfway through it and i like it so far uh it's heavy stuff it's not something you can really binge watch um it's really i don't i don't think it is but um it's it's good it's very informative um and it's a miracle we're still around as a country um, that, <laughs> yeah, no i don't it is. i mean, I mean it, very, it is <laughs> that 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 really that conflict really almost destroyed us. Um, and maybe it has. Oh, we're still I mean, dealing with it. You yeah, know, I mean, we're I, still I, dealing with it. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing that nothing in 40, 50 years has really changed. And maybe we're just, I think in the last, like, in this century, we really are coming. We're seeing the effects, I think, finally come home. Um, the, I mean, just last weekend, the divisions, there's still so many divisions. They might not be the same kinds of divisions, but there's still a lot, there's a lot of pain from that conflict that I don't think is ever going to go away. Um, and it, well, it's, it's, it, yeah, the way that the way that it drew a line between between people, you know, uh, between the people who could accept the war and even encourage right. it, and the people who the people who couldn't, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, there's still echoes of it, and uh, you know, as a as a work, you know the uh, the entire eighteen hours is is fantastic. Yeah, I completely mm-hmm. learned. Uh, you know, I learned everything that I wanted to know about the uh, war. The, the you know things things that I found confusing about the beginnings of it, uh, and uh, and just the you know the simple fact of the matter is that uh, we got into it by mistake. Really, you know, it was a it was a complete misreading. Of uh, what was really going on in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and and we 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 re- because we were in, in so obsessed with the Cold War and fighting the communists that uh, we we misread it as a as a communist threat. Right. And, uh, well, and, 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 and the really, big story the big story too is that the escalation of it 
was a willful uh, misreading yes. uh, uh, on mm-hmm. the behalf of you know th- that's the real uh, uh, crime. Yeah, of it. yeah. Um, I mean, when you're hearing the uh, when you're hearing the recordings of the president and Kissinger, uh, you know, President Nixon and Kissinger, mm-hmm. uh, particularly working behind the scenes to. Uh, you know, not only in '68 to kind of uh, to uh, to uh, undermine the peace talks so that they could get elected, uh, but also uh, undermining you know any any further peace in '72, uh, also to get Nixon reelected. You know, they they wanted they used the war to uh, to uh, to for personal gain. And uh, there's record there, when you hear those recordings of those those guys in the Oval Office making their plans. Uh, every one of gonna, them. Every one yes. of them knew that it was a loser. And, right. Uh, Everybody. You know, Ke- Kennedy was the one that said it publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the end, this is their war, and they're going to have to win or lose it. Um, but uh, you know, he. Um, I know a lot of people find fault in its. Uh, depiction of Kennedy, because Kennedy uh, held the hope that uh, he would pull us all out in his second term. Um, and by all accounts, that's what he was going to do. But, you know, he was assassinated. He didn't get a chance to do that. So the the movie's mm-hmm. not going to tell you something that didn't happen. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. I, I don't quite know what people want uh, from it, but... Um, I thought that on on the whole, I mean, look, it's an astounding uh, achievement. Uh, God knows he has a wealth of footage. It was shocking to me how how he could find particular clips of interview mm-hmm. subjects on the on the field. Um, mm-hmm. You know, out of, out of so many hundreds of thousands of men, yeah. that he could yeah. single he could single out an interview subject. And he could find them on the field, and kind of follow yeah, them yeah. as they know what they're doing. Yeah, we could, um, yeah, yeah. It was there were uh, it was, that was great. I, 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 just a couple okay. of quibbles. A couple of quibbles. Um, I don't think his use of music was as inventive or outside the box as I would have hoped it would have been. Yeah, uh, I'm not talking about Trent, Trent Reznor. I'm talking about the tunes of the day. Yeah, uh, right. they were they were for the most part. Stereotypical, which is fine. I mean, those were the biggest hits of the time, I'm sure. Um, and there were some pieces of information and insights that were repeated. It's almost like he forgot he used that six hours ago, and it felt mm. like an editing over oversight. Um, there was one whole episode that felt uh, unnecessary to me because it didn't offer anything new. But it came in between the two best episodes for me, which were the Ted Offensive episode and the episode that ends with the Kent State. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Just harrowing. And there's a moment in the series, I think in the second episode, where they talk about uh, a veteran uh, named uh, uh, Mogi. The the conclusion of that, where the mother talks about, you know, they they gave her the option once he was killed in combat of burying him at home, but he want she wanted him buried in Arlington, just because if if he was close to her, she would feel like 
scratching the earth to try to feel the warmness of him again. And, oh, my God. I mean... Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what uh, you know, I I came away with the, from the work uh, with the notion that uh, will we ever see uh, wartime footage like that ever again? I mean, uh, we had certainly never seen it before uh, in terms of, you know, uh, World War II or, or even the Korean War. Uh, but TV wasn't as uh, as uh, powerful a, a medium as it was in the '60s, uh, when TV news would constantly, of course, send uh, correspondents out to Vietnam to film this, uh, film the atrocities there. And so, I mean, you know, the thing is, you know, the the re- revelation of all that uh, carnage on uh, the nightly news every every evening. Uh, I think is what really fueled the uh, is obviously what fueled the opposition to it, and uh, and so uh, you know I mean that's that's the good part of the press presence, yeah. but um, but you know I mean uh, I have to say I've, I've never in one work uh, even even in the in the realm of uh, Ken Burns documentaries. Uh, like the Civil War and the World War Two one, uh, the um, the amount of carnage that we see on screen is is staggering, uh, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't think we'll ever see. You know, we won't ever see that type of press coverage of a war probably ever again as a result of of you know the reaction to to this particular war. Um, well, and so, now and now they regulate. Uh, I mean, I don't know where we are now with it, but uh, you know, there's been there've been regu- presidents who have regulated not showing the caskets of our yeah. veterans when they come home from war. You know, yeah, much much less. You know, the the bloody battlefields. So yeah, I, it, it's it's an extraordinary work, and and uh, I really feel like I know I I understand the war better that war better than I ever have before mm-hmm. so and uh that's that's fantastic so um and it's also because because it gives you every perspective i mean it goes yeah, to, no, that's it the goes to the, the, the south and the north vietnamese it goes to the anti war protesters the people in mm-hmm. government the the american veterans i mm-hmm. mean you hear voices from all sides so you get as complete an understanding of the vietnam war experience as has ever been made available in documentary mm. form, right? Uh, and John McC- John McCain requested to see it, but he only wanted to see the uh, the snippets of the documentary that the interviews with the North Vietnamese. He wanted to understand his you know quote unquote enemy of the time and, right. and their experience. Uh, you know, and McCain is in it, and you just have tremendous empathy for. Um, I mean, McCain's not a new interview subject. He he just filmed footage of him being held captive. Is in right, um, and you. I mean, you just have a, a tremendous uh, empathy for uh, all of the people that were that were captured, including McCain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What else? Well, I think we should maybe let's. I mean, do you want to? Should we talk a little bit about Hefner? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, want to talk about Hefner because I know it's pissed off people. 
Um, <laughs> I, I just really did you did you see the comment on our Facebook page? Yeah, and, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I just I chose I chose not to reply. I was like, it's not. What could you say to that? What could you? Well, what what was the comment? He lost a lot of respect. How could we even celebrate this man's life? The passion of this man's life. Well, that's a lot of a lot of the reaction has been, which I think is a shame. Uh, Yeah. uh, Um, I mean, I guess uh, you know. I I guess I I sort of understand it in today's climate, but. Uh, you know, uh, it comes from people who really aren't really familiar with what he did. Uh, right. Really. It's just, um, uh, all they all they know is all they know is Playboy had you know a center centerfold naked women in it, but uh, it was it was much more than that. Uh, yeah. And I mean, and he was I mean, much more than just a just a, a provider of of uh, yeah, whack off material. I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to respond to this, and I decided not to, but if we're on the show, yeah. I'm going to respond to it the way yeah. I was going to in text. This is his message, and he's a great supporter of our show, and he's, yeah. you know, he listens to all of our episodes, and he's sent us emails in the past, and he's, he's – you know, so I understand. I don't get yeah. offended by this shit, but here's his message. He was – all we did was post the death notice <laughs> from Hollywood Reporter. Uh, because mm-hmm. he is a cultural figure, and he's had uh, impact in movies too, and we'll get into that. Uh, so that's why I posted it. I didn't say, I didn't say, oh God bless you, half, oh, oh the tribute to you, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But he seemed to think it was a tribute to him that we posted his death notice. So here's his response: He was a pimp, and you're really downgrading women everywhere with this hype. Does he have any fans besides sexually frustrated men? Speaking as a Swede. I must say this is the first time I'm disappointed in you, but I guess it's a mirror of the moral-free country of the USA, which is losing all its morals and values in record time these days. Not sure if you realize the tiredness from the rest of the world of what's happening in your country right now. I'm sorry to write this when you have the best interviews with the Kubrick crew, the best analysis of several of the greatest films, actors and directors who ever lived, and 99% of your material is the best that is out there. However, I'm curious, would a long Lenny Riefenstahl tribute also be justified morally? Where do you draw the moral line? So here's my response to this, piece by piece. Does he have any fans besides sexually frustrated men? Absolutely he does. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, if you think in terms of uh, uh, proponents of uh, free speech, he has fans there. If you think in terms of people that believe in uh, an end to racism and uh, an end to segregation, he has fans there. If you think about people that love Hollywood history and uh, value the Hollywood sign, which he helped to save and preserve, yes, he has fans there. How about people that love classic cinema because he has put his money behind the restoration of many silent films? Yes, he has fans there. Does he have? He has fans of people that love great literature, that love the insights of the great minds that have existed throughout the 20th century, like Alex Haley and Martin Luther King, which were just two of the people that were featured in the pages of Playboy when no other major periodical would really run them. 
uh, and let, let me interject right people. there. Let me interject right there. In those interviews, those interviews were unprecedented. Those those interviews, each each issue had interviews that were unprecedented in their length and in their detail and in their uh, in their frankness. They were they were very much uh, very much one of a kind kind of pieces. Every issue, uh, whoever they were talking to. And and uh, he was an early proponent of uh, of gay rights. He said decades and decades ago that they were the most persecuted group in America. Um, so yes, uh, if you want to think that he is nothing but a smut peddler, peddler uh, that's your right. And and by the way, if you love films, I would imagine you don't love them for the one dimensional characters. So the fact that you can take offense to him showing women naked, but you also have to kind of contend with the fact that he did all of this other stuff that is very noble and admirable mm. uh, around it. I mean, he, he integrated television uh, to a large extent with right. TV shows. Uh, so, so that makes it more complicated, and that's something that should be kind of uh, explored and not entirely dismissed. In addition to that, I would love to do a show on Lenny Riefenstahl. I've been wanting to do a show on her yeah. for some time. Because and there's because a great documentary I, out there. There's already a great documentary, three hours long, about her. So she has she has been reevaluated uh, in the uh, in the film world. So you know, uh, and uh, yeah. So what's wrong with that? I mean, uh, you know. Part of humanity, and, and, and it, it, you know. it's a re- it's a reflection of the morals, uh, the moral decay in America and all that kind of stuff. You have to happen to America sixty years ago, so so he's not anything new. And by the way, he didn't just happen to America; he's pretty much embraced throughout the world the Playboy brand. I mean, it's not just an American thing; it became international pretty quickly. You know, I, I you know, and and we didn't even uh, I guess. I guess the whole pro- problem people have with him is that, I mean, they have a problem with the sexual revolution. I mean, uh, certainly he had a role in in uh, in uh, helping helping women find their voice too, uh, in terms of their rights. And uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I I think that he was just as much an advocate of women's rights as as, uh, as he was in. In other realms, uh, such as gay rights and so forth. So, uh, I don't, I don't I, think Playboy. I don't think Playboy is pornography, just like Jerry said. No, yeah, uh, it's not. The, the, I mean, the pictorials and play. I mean, women are beautiful, uh, and uh, yeah. many of the, yeah, all of the pictorials that I've seen of Playboy, none of them are, are, graphic or in any. I don't think in any way uh, degrading. Uh, none of these no. women were. Drugged and forced into doing this. Um, yeah, so, we're not uh, talking about know, like Hustler or Swank or something like that here. You know, we're talking about Playboy. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. And by the way, by the way, Larry Flint, Larry Flint, who who does publish this smut, uh, The People vs. Larry Flint is a great movie because he is a conflicting person. Yes, yeah. he is like the poster child for your your tolerance of how far the First Amendment goes. He is kind of, in many ways, this disgusting individual, but mm. uh, but that's a big part of what makes that poofy so fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
And let's all, let's talk about also Hugh Hefner's, you know, uh, you know, uh, of course his 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 devotion to movies in general is lifelong. But uh, you know, he had a hand in producing, uh, you know, uh, Roman Polanski's Macbeth, and uh, and also uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich's Saint Jack. Uh, are are two the two most famous of his movies? Just just to let you know too, he did a he did a uh, a weird kind of adaptation of Desmond Morris's uh, The Naked Ape, uh, sort of a, a narrative adaptation of this uh, sociological examination of human uh, evolution, and um, uh, also <laughs> his last movie is. As a producer, is not so notable, and that is the fiendish plot of Fu Manchu, the, the last oh God, Peter Sellers oh movie, which I didn't know, but uh, I didn't know about. But uh, Ed, uh, he did a really odd little movie in the mid seventies called The Crazy World of Julius Vruder with uh, uh, Timothy Bottoms as a, uh, a Vietnam vet with a, a particularly intense case of PTSD. Uh, and so, I mean, he had an interesting uh, movie career as well, even though it was rather short in terms of actual involvement uh, in the making of movies. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was a huge uh, proponent of uh, of uh, film art, uh, and uh, uh, he he put his money where his mouth is in in that uh, in that realm. I thought. Look, and I, I, I understand uh, people. A lot. There's a long history uh, of, you know, people have always argued about the value of Hugh Hefner and what he did with Playboy. It, it's not a new argument. Uh, it didn't just come up when he died. It's been going mm-hmm. on for over 50 years. Um, and, you know, different writers have very different perspectives on it. Uh, some female writers think it's uh, it's empowering and it allows women to uh, to reclaim their the power of their own sexuality. Other writers think that uh, it, it 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 kind of promotes a culture where women are nothing but sexual objects. Uh, feel one way or another about it. I mean, it's a kind of a, a fascinating uh, dichotomy between those two perspectives. Uh, that's part of what makes what he did interesting to me. I I personally don't think Playboy's porn. I personally don't subscribe to the um, theory that Bob Fosse put forth in Star 80 that Hefner is Hefner made Paul Snyder possible in some mm-hmm. way. But uh, I think that movie's more fascinating for bringing that out, for exploring that. I mean, I don't have to agree with something to find value in it. You know, I, right. I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree. This is the part of America right now that I don't like. It's getting offended by everything. There are truly yeah, mm-hmm. offensive things out there. Uh, so, uh, and I'm not offended by Hugh Hefner. Uh, so, that's the least of our problems. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree. Hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, anyway. Um, but anyway, so, Johan, thank you for. <laughs> 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 yes, we do thank you, uh, as we thank all of our listeners. I wanted to. Uh, we're, we're preparing for Blade Runner coming out this week. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. 
and the initial reviews are positive. But, you know, for me, <clears throat> when you have a movie like this, it's like, you know, can you trust these early reviews? You know, it, it could be just, you know, really excited fanboy-type critics, uh, you know, just excited to be there at the first screening or whatever, you know. So, uh, uh, and I know that feeling, and it can, can feel kind I of I read one on Friday. I read one on Friday that was a little bit, the enthusiasm was a little bit tampered down. Um, this was on io9, um, a science fiction and a science site. And uh, they said it was the ultimate fan fiction film. Mm. Okay, so, I mean, not, it wasn't a bad review, but they did say it was very much like someone who had really loved the world of Blade Runner. Um, and it was, and that's what they said. Now, I do want to remind listeners that back in the late 90s, uh, K.W. Jenner um, wrote, I think, two sequels to Blade Runner. Um, there were some books that were sequels to the movie, did come out. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see if these guys who wrote this, the script of this, um, used any of that stuff in those books. So there is stuff out there. Um, that, so when we talk about fan fiction, so there, there is that to keep that in mind. This isn't the first foray into well, you know one of the um, one of the great reviews that I wrote. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I, I've always loved him because he's uh, I don't even know what he writes for. Maybe Salon, maybe something else. Bill Bill Abiri, E B I R I. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Yeah. He wrote a um, a review of Blade Runner and talked about how it is kind of the most gorgeous movie he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't love it. Like, he didn't... It didn't get into him. You know, he didn't feel it. And so I, my first thought was, well, it sounds like exactly like the first Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's... I, I think we have to remind people, you know, I'm really looking forward to this this movie. I mean, obviously, I know we all are. But... When the original came out, it was a dud. It was a box office dud. I mean, well, it became it, a cold it, it movie. Is a cold, it, it is a cold movie. It's it's it not is cold, cold. cold. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cold and is uh, cold so movie. it's not it's not an easy movie to warm to. No, uh, no, it's not. So if if you respond to it at first, uh, you respond to it for its overwhelming artistry. And then kind of the, the 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 philosophical questions kind of sink in, and it becomes a more fascinating movie. For me, Blade Runner, in terms of a movie that you feel uh, as an empathetic viewer, it feels like a replicant to me, the movie mm-hmm. itself, uh, because it's, it doesn't feel kind of human totally. totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, the first and that's, time? That's, no, God, no. That, that's fine. I think that that's part of what makes the movie so damn unique, uh, and and it keeps with the theme of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie that I think you find you keep going back to, and you see something new as you get older. It means something a little bit different, maybe to you, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that way, and especially with each. There's so many of them. What are there? Like five versions of it now. Um. So you you're yeah, constantly reevaluating. You're constantly reevaluating your feelings about it. I mean, when I first saw it, when it opened that night, um, in my opinion of it has changed drastically. I, you're right, Jamie. The first time you see it, you're, you're left cold. Um, it's a, it is a very hard movie to 
get into. It's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Don't get me wrong. It's visually, like at the time, not like nothing I had ever seen. But at the same time, you're like, what the hell is going on? Um, but as you keep, you know, I, it, I don't. I don't have that reaction to it. I, I, it's funny. Now that this movie is coming out, you know, for years before this, this sequel was announced, people wanted a sequel to it. You know, there seemed to be universal love for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And now that this movie is coming out, now I'm hearing that there are a lot of people who weren't, didn't like the movie and, and think that it's boring and dull and, and everything. And is that a... Is that something coming from people who are 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 raised with the current kind of movies? You know the uh, the the slam bang idiot idiot fests that are out there. Uh, I mean, like to me to me, I, I didn't have any uh, problem uh, assimilating the information in the movie. Uh, well, no, 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 I, I didn't. That. I mean, it is a cold movie, though. I do think that when you first watch it, I mean, this is one of those first movies that you rent. Constantly, um, when you first get a video, you know, home video membership in a VCR, I remember just renting every other week um, and watching like the Road Warrior. I just constantly watched them. You just grew to really love it. You knew the lines. I mean, it's just this movie. Just well, gets I mean, it, better, tells, better. it tells you right off. It tells you right off the bat that Ridley Scott wanted Deckard to be a replicant. Harrison yeah. Ford's argument was we have to have one human in there that people can feel some kind of attachment to. And he gives one of one of the most deadpan performances he's ever given in a movie before, Harrison Ford right. does. I mean, that kind of reflects the nature of the movie that it's, 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 it's in, um, you can't, you can't kind of impenetrable in a way right. in terms of the, the, the emotional, the emotional qualities of the movie. Hmm. For for me, I I feel the emotion of the movie. I feel, uh, you know, I especially feel it towards the last third of the movie. And and there's something too about the inclusion of the character of the, uh, you know, the William Sanderson character that I think is a very, uh, uh, probably the most human character in the movie. Quote right. Quote. Uh, but uh, um, you know, I, I I respond to a lot of the emotion in it. Um, so uh, I just think that it's a it's a slower uh, it's a slower kind of movie. And uh, yeah. and but I, I miss those. And uh, you yeah, know, well, I, I think a lot of us do. Yeah, you got it again. Things to it two hours yeah. and forty minutes. So. 40, well, there's, there, you know, when you see the preview, though, you know, there's lots of shooting and and things blowing up. So I hope that they don't. Uh, well, uh, you could you could make I'll a preview of Blade Runner that shows the first Blade Runner that shows the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of Blade Runner these days, the original, I always think of our interview with Roger Haller. Uh-huh. Maybe knows yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, your favorite <laughs> interview. That was a great interview. But I was telling a friend of mine this morning on the phone about that. I was like, you know, I just, whenever I think of Roger Howard, I think of this interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he was high. Uh, but he was, dude, he was he, drunk. He, he was drunk. Though. He, he <laughs> was. He was speaking to us from Amsterdam. So yeah. Uh, there you go. I'm always <laughs> grateful that that was not done in the studio with him. That interview. Um, <laughs> always grateful. <laughs> 
Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, still. Oh, it's, it's something that, ha- that has to be. And I'm not, you know, I'm also not a fan of, I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that all these people saying that uh, Dennis, Denise Villeneuve is, is, you know, one of the great filmmakers. You know, he hasn't made a bad move yet. And for me, you know, I, I know a lot of people like Enemy uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, I guess, Prisoners and, but uh, and Arrival, which is my least favorite of his movies, but none of those movies really are hit, are hit with me. Uh, so I, I I don't think that he's the you know the second coming or anything. <laughs> you know I I don't agree with people who are who are overstating his uh, his effect on present day movies. Uh, and and uh, it looks like you know the in the future I think he signed on to do a remake of Cleopatra. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and 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 Dune, he's gonna redo Dune. So people should just leave Dune well, alone. I I think Dune should just be left alone. It's just not. No, let's just leave it alone. It's not possible to do it. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, I just I just think that it, that's a story that's impossible to to do. They and, tried it. They tried as a miniseries on sci-fi. I didn't think that was the much of, you know, I just think people mm-hmm. just got to learn, just, hey, maybe let's just stop. Let's yeah. Just stop. Stop. How about if we down. move on to other science fiction classics like Childhood's End or something like that? Well, you know, not here. Now here here's, well, they did Childhood's End. Oh, they did for, as a TV yeah. movie. Oh, yeah, that yeah, doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no, 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 <laughs> I want a real one. You can't. No. I don't want it. Uh, you know, it's funny you bring that up, Dean. You know, it was Amazon announced last week they're going to do Larry Niven's Ringworld and Neil Stephenson's Snow Crash. So well, right uh, there, you I, have big things. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I I just think that there's a lot of classic science fiction novels that haven't been really made yet. But you and, know what uh, I want? I, I only want Darren Aronofsky to make them, and I want him to come out and tell us exactly what he was thinking when he made the movie. Step by step, what would each scene mean? I just, that's 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 just how I want all movies to be made now. You know, I, I think I think they need to I think they need to adapt Woody Allen's comedy routine, where he talks about aliens coming to Earth and everybody falls asleep and when they wake up they're missing yeah. their pants, and then that, the aliens come back movie. and send send them a bill for the dry cleaning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I saw agree. I saw Village of the Damned. I saw the original and the remake of Village of the Damned a couple of weeks ago. Man, the original is eons uh, better than that remake. Oh, God, oh. yeah. Uh, it's not yeah. even a it's not even a contest. It's uh, <laughs> no, it's not. There's no. I just always felt bad for Christopher Reeve when that opened that weekend is when he got in a horrible accident, a horse accident. I just always that's the only thing I remember about the movie. I'm um, sorry. Okay, I'll shut up. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, of course, I've been watching. Hey, listen, this this is this is news. Uh, you know, recently, I've been meaning to talk about this for for a little while now. So I, I'll use since it's kind of in the news. Uh, Suspiria is enjoying, uh, you, you know, uh, the uh, Dario Argento's uh, Suspiria uh, is enjoying a 4K re- restoration. It's being shown uh, certain places around the country and. I'm sure with Halloween coming up, you'll see it a lot more in specialty houses and so forth. Um, and uh, um, 
I have to say, I I, I thought I had I'd seen Suspiria, uh, and uh, then it popped up on uh, Amazon Prime, and I started watching it, and I realized I really hadn't seen it, um, and uh, I'd probably only seen like 15 minutes of it or something like that. So I watched it all the way through, and uh, I have to say, I I don't get what everybody's on about <laughs> for, for, with this movie. <laughs> But, or it really any Italian horror really to me uh, is uh, is like once are 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 people enjoying Suspiria like ironically uh, ironically like because to me it's kind of filled with lots of ridiculous shit <laughs> you know I mean this it is beautifully photographed and this I like the conversation is making me want to take a ridiculous shit. <laughs> Movie, the movie as it is 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 
pretty threadbare as a story. And uh, so what is it going to be for another hour? <laughs> I just, well, there I are so many more colored gels than there were back in the Yeah. Back I, mean, in the, yeah. I, like, yeah. I like the girl with the crystal plumage. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. There, 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 there are some films of that genre that I like. Yeah. But uh, Deep I mean, Red is okay. I, I like Deep Red, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't know. The, 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 the acting is so silly in them. Uh, yeah. And so many weird styles of acting too, like you know people being dubbed, and you know, and then there's Joan Bennett comes in, and she's like an old timey actress, you know, and then there's. Uh, you know, of course, Jessica Walter is a strange, strange uh, presence anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't get it. If it didn't have the style it had, I don't think people would take it uh, seriously. Yeah. I think the, the yeah. style, I, I, I haven't seen it in so many years. I remember nothing about it. I rented it as a teenager. I think the style of it leads people to believe that there's there's there there. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good for them. They could have my share. Okay. All right. Here we go. We ended the show on an awesome, awesome way. Whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs>